If you see a tenth of that energy in me this morning, you'll be very lucky. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've got this huge card here uh, that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the weekend right before uh, Valentine's Day, we had a group of people from this church who got together and we went to three different nursing homes in the area, specifically to the memory care units of these nursing homes. And one, Prelude, which is just right down the street from us, uh, they sent us this card that says, even though we are all different, we are all saying the same thing, thank you, the flowers brighten our rooms. We took them flowers, uh, we were able to deliver those to people and brighten their day. And so for all of you who participated in that, we, we seriously thank you for your effort in that. And so do the people at these places. We did a good thing there. So give yourself a pat on the back, and if not, I'll give you one after church. This morning, uh, we're going to look in the book of James. We've been in this series about James, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But there's this famous uh, evangelical world, evangelical church world saying that I, I think you're going to know what to do when I put this up there. So next slide says, God is good. And when I say that, what do you respond? All the time. And then all the time. God is good. good. You're so smart. Uh, it's, of course, it's written there too. So if you didn't participate, you'll have another opportunity in a little bit. My junior year of high school was a year like none other for me. I had the opportunity of my young lifetime to be the lead role in our high school one-act play. I know, you're all amazed. You're all just thinking, Jordan, how could you do that? How could you get that such a prestigious honor? I don't know, I was lucky. I was the leading role in this show called The Hypochondriac. And it's, <laughs> Yeah. To prove it, I've actually got a picture of myself that I'm, I'm willing to show you this. Yeah, I know. Impressive. I get it. Yeah. It's not the first time that's happened with that picture. Uh, which one is me? Fair question. Fair question. So I was given the opportunity to be the leading role in this play, to be the hypochondriac, which was so exciting for me. But to do this, the person that was our director told me, you have to give this all of your, all of your attention. You have to give this all of your time. If you're going to do this well, you cannot continue to be involved in the other things you were involved in. And for me, that meant basketball. I had to give up basketball if I was going to be the leading role in this show. Now, I was probably the best junior on our JV basketball team. And if you're doing the math in a school of about 400 people, that means I wasn't very good. <laughs> so, giving up basketball, while not something I wanted to do, it was something I needed to do. And doing so gave me this opportunity to be this character, this hypochondriac. This is a play by a guy named Moliere. So for any of you who care who Moliere is, he is satire. He is over-the-top expressions. And plus, if you're going to be in theater, you have to do over-the-top expressions all the time. So I had to transform myself that you see before you this morning into this theatrical character. 
He was supposed to be larger than life, so I had to develop this old man walk, you know, and I'd do it for you, but I don't, I, I don't remember it. Had to develop this old man voice, had to cough a lot, and had to, had to make it sound like I was sick, even though I wasn't. Had to dance on stage for one scene, and I know you want to see that part, but it's not going to happen. And the, the most important part, and there's two pictures that my dad sent me of this. I didn't have any of my own. But the most important part was I had to develop this movement with my pinky. And so I developed this, and yeah, I know, I know. You've got to be able to control only your pinky, which is ridiculous. But I put time and effort and all of my energy into being the best hypochondriac I could be. My parents were so proud. The show was fantastic, you know. It was one of those shows where, where things were just coming together. And the more I invested in this, the more I was focused on it, the better it became. And, and so we get to our district competition, and that was the first round. And so I was convinced, we're going to take this all the way to state. We're going to win the state tournament because I am so good at this role. And at District, our judge was a guy named Perry Crafton. And I'll be shocked if some of you know him. So if that's the case, don't tell him this. <laughs> Perry Crafton was our judge, and he hated comedies. So get up and do this performance of a lifetime. You know, I, all of those movements and all of those things were exaggerated as far as they possibly could be. Perry Crafton said, there were six schools. He said, of the six schools, your school gets the alternate position. <sighs> alternate. That means somebody, if somebody has their entire cast fail, you know, chemistry or something, then we'll get to go. But that never happens. Alternate's just kind of the consolation prize. Like, you almost made it. And this was my shot. We lost. And I asked myself the question, is God good when it does not work out my way? May of 1999, I was not in high school yet. Go back a slide. There you go. May of 1999, there was a youth retreat uh, up at Pine Springs Church Camp, uh, which is in the Lincoln part, uh, the Lincoln Mountains of New Mexico. It's a place I've been a few times. I wasn't here at this time. But just this beautiful campground. And you know how sometimes when you go on these camp retreats and you've got this weekend that just recharges you and fills you back up and you sing songs like we were singing this morning and you're reminded of how present God is, how good God is. Well, this Green Lawn Church, um, they were on this retreat. And they were encouraged, and they were inspired. But as all retreats do, it came to an end. So they start traveling back from New Mexico back to Lubbock, Texas. And they were coming home, and they were in the left-hand lane. And they were 52 miles from Alamogordo, New Mexico, on this two-lane highway. And a truck, a pickup truck, that has a fifth-wheel camper is trying to pass them in the right lane. And as this truck is passing them, 
starts getting a little close to the line and then comes over the line. And as the pickup truck driver recognizes this, he swerves to get out of the way. But in doing so, it, it pushed the trailer up against the bus. Once the trailer hits the bus, it loses its connection to the pickup truck. Yeah, it's not going to get better. So, Loses its connection. The pickup swerves. And as this trailer is going along the side of this bus, kills six girls coming back from this camp, and a car that is completely unrelated right behind it as it runs into it as well. Is God good? There's a spectrum in our lives of difficulties. It's not all things like what happens at Greenlawn. It's not all things like what happens in my junior year. You know that there are different difficulties that we face. Sometimes we stub our toes and sometimes we experience tragedy. And that is life. And in those moments, we wonder, is God good? So, I invite you to turn with me over to James 1. We're going to see what James has to say about this. Patrick and I have painted this picture over the last few weeks of these Jewish Christians who are probably the recipients of this letter, the diaspora. And James is the leader of this Jerusalem church. He's the brother of Jesus. And for these Christians, everything is great. It's going their way. God is good. There's stability. There's rapid growth. And then they have the carpet ripped out from underneath them. Overnight, things go from good to awful. And they're spread across the entire world, or the world as they know it, and they're suffering persecution. They're enduring economic trials. Things went from good to awful very quickly, and as their lives fell apart, what they believed about God was brought into question. Now, I need to say this just before we get started. To question whether or not God is good is in no way sinful. I think those are questions we need to remind ourselves to ask from time to time. So far in this series, we've talked about how trials help us grow. We've talked about how God gives us wisdom just freely, costs us nothing. How we should pursue the crown of life instead of riches because the allure of riches is a facade. And then God does not tempt us. We talked about that last week. So in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, that's our text this morning. We read this. Do not be deceived my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a first fruits, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There are gullible people in this world. Uh, some people have gullible written on their foreheads. And if you're questioning whether or not that's true, go home and look in the mirror. 
<laughs> yes, some of you are getting that now, and that's, that's funny. <laughs> I had this girl who lived on my block growing up. Her name was Ashley Wilson. Uh, she lived three doors down. We went to the same church. She was my younger sister's age. And we went to the same camp together. We had the same camp experience. We had a lot of things in common. And we were with this group of friends in what we called the gazebo at our camp. And so we had this big gazebo where we'd all sit around and talk to each other. And we're all talking about ridiculous things. And I say to the group, yeah, we have penguins in our backyard. I live in Texas. There are no penguins in Texas. But I tell her we have penguins, and she says, no, you don't. But she says it in a way that makes me think she's not really sure. <laughs> right? You, you know these type of scenarios. I say, Ashley, you've been to our house. You live on the same block. You've been in our backyard. But have you ever been in our shed that's back there? She says, no. I say, it's refrigerated. It is the home of our penguins. <laughs> of course. A week later, camp's over, and I'm back at home. We have this above-ground pool in our backyard, and I'm, I'm out there swimming with my brother and sister. And I notice over our fence is somebody peeking over to see what's happening. Ashley was looking into our backyard to see if there were penguins. Seriously, gullible people. Now, you know, she was 13 at the time or something, so give her a little grace for that. But people can be so gullible. Hopefully we're not nearly that gullible, but I do believe we can all be deceived. Right? We've talked in this series about being deceived by money. We talked about being deceived by sin our own desires. And today we're going to look at how we can be deceived by this big question, is God good? And frankly, I think this question's kind of easy to answer. When you baptize your child, is God good? I think so. When you fall in love, is God good? For sure. When you get promoted at work, is God good? When you get into the school of your choice, is God good? When life is good, God is good. But when life is tough, is God good? Seems to be the question James is answering, and although James doesn't answer this question in the way I would, I think it's interesting how he does. So James makes these three claims about why God is good. So, if you want to look in the text, the first one is this. Everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God. Love comes from God. Sunshine comes from God. Snow, for those of us who like snow, comes from God. Puppies come from God. Salvation comes from God. Life comes from God. Coca-Cola and Reese's together come from God. When you experience good in your life, it is a blessing from God. 
And James is not making any qualms about that. He's saying it precisely this way. All good traces its origin back to God because God is good. All the time, good. Some, yeah, you're thinking. That point alone should evoke within us some gratitude. Like thinking about the goodness of God should make us grateful. Do you take the time to be grateful? Do your prayers express your gratitude? Those are things to think about. Because everything good comes from God. Second thing, God does not change. So, if we believe that God is good, and we also believe God does not change, what does that mean about God in ten years? Yeah, God will still be good. God is good. James... <laughs> I didn't even mean for that one. That was good. You guys are on my toes. James gets a little weird in verse 17. So it's worth examining, just reading through it for a second. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does it mean to call God the Father of lights? Well, some commentaries disagree on that. But in my mind, it seems pretty clear. When you think of God as the father of lights, you think of God as the creator, God who made the sun, God who made the moon. And while you experience the sun one way at 6 a.m., you experience the sun very different at 5 p.m. While you experience the moon one way at 4 p.m., like today, you'll see the moon up there, but it's not giving light. At Midnight, you'll see the moon huge. There's a book in our, that's not in our Bibles. There's a book called Sirach that says, the conversation of the godly is always wise, but the fool changes like the moon. You experience the sun and moon differently. God, the source of wisdom, as James has already taught us, has no change. There is no change in God. We sing the song that kind of goes with this every now and then. There is no shadow of turning with thee. You know that song? Great is thy faithfulness. By the way, this is just an aside. Uh, We have an app for our church. (laughs) You're wondering where this is going. I, I promise. Not making this up. We have an app for our church that you should download. Because today on that app, we started our 64-song tournament to see what our church believes is the greatest hymn or song of all time. And Great is Thy Faithfulness is a choice. So, download the app. Look at that. Back to God being faithful. If God changes, can we be sure of our salvation? God does not change. If we believe that God is always good then it is imperative that God always be good. Mostly good is not the same as good. And we believe that God is good, and God does not change. Third thing that we figure out from this passage is this. God made the church on purpose for a purpose. Okay? Let's unpack these verses, or this part of James. James 1, verse 18. In fulfillment of his own purpose. The church is not an accident. Uh, Just 
so we're on the same page. We do not exist by some coincidence. We are part of God's purpose. It's really important for us to believe that Jesus was God's plan A. Jesus was the original plan of God. Story sometimes gets told like this, like God created humanity, but humanity sinned, so God sent you know, Moses to fix it. So the law was supposed to be good, but, but we couldn't live up to the law. And so plan B, all of a sudden, or that was plan B, plan C, all of a sudden, was for Israel to become faithful. But that didn't happen, so plan D is Jesus comes. Jesus was plan A. From the beginning, it was all about Jesus. And when Peter got up to preach on Pentecost and the crowd was assembled, he told them that Jesus, that same Jesus, was handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, because Jesus was the original plan. And as the church, Paul calls us the body of Christ. If we are the body of Christ, we are part of plan A. It is in fulfillment of his own purpose. And his purpose is that we are Christ's body. We are part of the Jesus plan. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are a kingdom of priests. The church was not made for accident. The church was made because of God's purpose. Second thing is this. He gave us birth. Now, don't just run past that because that's strange language, right? He gave us birth. There's an uproar right now about the movie The Shack that you may have heard. There's probably some reasons to dislike that movie, although this one should not be one of them. Shack came out this Friday, and there's this woman that plays the character of God. When we call God Father, what are we doing? That's rhetorical. We are assigning God relationship. One of these is more, assigning God relationship is more important than assigning God gender. We relate to God as father, but God is more than male. We relate to God as father, but God is more than male. In the same token, God is much more than female. God transcends, and to get caught up in the arguments about the gender of God is to miss the point that this is God. God is not distant. God is present. And to call God Father, to God, say that God gave us birth, is to say that God is with us. Lindsay works from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., my wife Lindsay. And so Micah and I get to spend some quality time together. One of those days, we have, or on those days, we have a bedtime routine that Micah and I go through with each other. And the bedtime routine really matters to me. First thing that we do is we give Micah a bath. Second thing we do is we brush his teeth. But after that, we lay down in his bed, and I read him a story. After that, we say our prayers together. He says a prayer, I say a prayer, and then we lay there and just talk for a couple minutes. When I think of God as Father, that's the type of image I have in my head. It's the close relationship. And here in our passage, God created the church on purpose. He gave birth to us on purpose. In fulfillment of his purpose, he gave us birth. And he did this 
by the word of truth. Who is the word of truth? Jesus. We are the body of Christ. So in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we could become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The church is the first fruits of his creatures. Now what does that mean? It means that the church is the first fruits of God's cosmic scale of redemption of the world. God is doing something in the church that God plans to do with all of his creation. It's what Paul talks about in Romans, and Jesus pointed us to in Matthew 19. And it's the point that Revelation kind of ends on, this, this scene of God coming down to us. God is redeeming the world, and as the church, we get to be redeemed first. And that is wonderful news. If we look back at first. 15 of the same passage when desire conceives it gives birth to sin and when sin matures it gives birth to death but for us it is not our desires that gives birth it is God who gives birth God gives birth to us and in fulfillment of his own purpose the church is redeemed and as the first fruits of the redeemed we are given the opportunity to participate in the redemption of the world. We are the church on purpose for a purpose. So James has laid it out for us. All good things come from God. God does not change, and God made us, the church, on purpose for a purpose. So let me ask you this again. This is James's way of answering this question. Is God good? If you believe this, and I think that we all do, I want us to end like this. I want us to respond the way that we began this sermon. Simply this. God is good. All the time. All the time. Hand it over to Greg.